Okay, we're up and running. We're live. Welcome along, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. If you're watching live on YouTube or if you're watching or listening to this on audio, then uh, thank you very much as well. If um, I haven't mentioned it before, I'm going to mention it at the beginning. If you can like, subscribe, if you can comment onto the um, uh, the iTunes version or give us a star rating, that'd be awesome. That'd really help us out um, rather than me sort of saving that for um, for the end where some of you might not be here. So um, tonight we now have a, a returning guest, which is always awesome. Um, uh, we've got Randy McElroy who's come back to see us, which is all very nice of him to do so. Um, awesome to catch up again and we can... Uh, we can see what's been going on since we last got to chat and there was loads of stuff that we didn't even cover last time. So, uh, so yeah, we're good to get into the stuff that we didn't talk about last time. Absolutely. Great to see you guys. Uh, how's everything going over your way? We're good. We're all right. Like I was saying, just before we jumped on, um, we were talking about sort of over here in the UK, if you're listening from abroad, we've got a potential release date for when social distancing and things will come to an end um, and everything go back to uh, in inverted commas normal so uh, yeah we've got sort of a well it's a four-stage approach isn't it so things change kids go back to school on Monday and then after that we've got um, relaxation of rules for numbers of people outside meeting outside and then it sort of slowly ticks by then the kids stuff can start inside on 12th of April. April 12th. Um, gyms can go back inside with social distancing still and those kind of activities. And then, um, yeah, pushing forward from there, it starts to become, uh, there's another date in May. And then, yeah, June, hopefully, fingers crossed, praying to the, to the COVID gods that we're, um, we're back to uh, being on the mats properly. So, so what are the restrictions right now? What, what's open and what's not? Right now, everything's closed. <laughs> Everything. Just yeah. groceries, essentials is open. So pharmacy, yeah, you know, supermarkets, these kind of things. But retail, normal clothes, these types of things, not open. Um, hospitality, entertainment, all closed. Gyms, all closed. Uh, so yeah, bare essentials is the only thing that's that's available. We are technically on a stay-at-home order as well, aren't we, at the moment? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're only allowed to leave the house for, for work or once per day for exercise. Oh. But everything has to be socially distant, so it's not even like we can meet up in the park and, and have a fight. <laughs> We're... Uh, we, we, well, we could, but yeah, we might get arrested. But, um, but yeah, it's... Full-on lockdown. So you wouldn't get arrested for the fight, you'd get arrested for, for the gathering. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's uh, a bit restrictive, but... like It's been a strange year. <laughs> it's nice to, uh, nice to have a bit of a date, nice to know what we're working towards. Yes, I can see where that would be very helpful. What are you guys doing to maintain your your sanity during all this? Uh, I know, you know, for, it's always been uh, in order to to keep healthy, you use that uh, jujitsu as therapy, and so when you can't do that, uh, what do you do? I know you guys mentioned power tools earlier when we first jumped on. 
Yeah, making making tables and, and rowing. I'm, I'm getting really concerned. I feel like I'm building, I'm going to start building up to making an ark. It's <laughs> going to be Bill, Bill's ark instead of Noah's ark. And uh, yeah, feels like I'm preparing for an apocalypse, but uh, no, that's, that's me. Pete, what are you up to? Uh, well, firstly, you're assuming we've managed to maintain our sanity. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really lucky so out of most people that are stay at home I still get to go to my PT studio and I'm outside with my clients so I get to see four or five clients a day personal train them outside um, and then obviously I've got the free run of my own gym so I can lift and train and um, work on upgrading the gym for when we go back inside and so out of everyone, I probably get to see the most people because of what I'm doing, you know. So yeah, I'm I'm lucky. Robin's the one that's stuck in the house. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't get out very much. <laughs> so yeah, it's tough, isn't it? It's difficult. I mean, again, I don't know how. I had a client today who was. I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning it. She was. She's been having loads of problems with her knees because of running. I said, well, can we switch activities or can we cut down? You know, we're kind of just, I'm kind of chasing the injury with her basically um, and working on that. I said, you know, can we, can we back off the running or can we? And she's like, she said, it's the only time I go out. So she said, my entire <laughs> mental health is based around, I'm either sitting in front of my screen or I go out running. And she's like, if I take away the running, I'm not sure how well I'm going to do. I'm like, okay, fine, leave it. We'll deal with the injury afterwards. Just, <laughs> um, she's a teacher, so she goes back to school next week. So she's like, that'll cut out the running, and I'll be back to normal almost a little bit. So she said, we can kind of, you know, deal with it then. I'm like, yeah, just keep doing, you know, whatever you like, just keep going. So, so are all the schools virtual right now for you guys? Yeah. Is that yeah, yeah they've been since, since Christmas. They've um, uh, the schools have been from home, um, so online classes. Some of those are live, so teachers log in and teach, uh, like like we're talking now. Some of them, some of the schools, they rely on just pre-recorded lessons, um, so the children are not even interacting in a live way with, um, with 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 their teachers for some schools, which is quite sad. Um, but yeah, instead of seeing the kids running around the playgrounds and doing what they're supposed to do, when I walk through the house and I see them like laptop, laptop, and, and they're just sat there like like me working all day, it makes makes yeah, it makes me sad. They, they should be running around and uh, and and causing chaos and, and having fun. But uh, back to it on on the eighth of March on Monday. So yeah, good, good, yeah. So Bill asked a question before we started. I did. So when we spoke to Randy before, Randy was in 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 your truck, right outside of yeah. um, outside of head office in in Virginia. Oh, yep. In and, uh, and, and just just you. Um, I think we would have been alarmed if you'd have been in your truck with a helmet like that, like in the middle <laughs> or behind you. Um, but now we're seeing you in your uh, normal surroundings. What's what's the helmet about, Randy? Well, well, this is my office here at the Academy, and the helmet is one of the, the things. It was a gift. Uh, it's a Spartan helmet, and it was just kind of a, an appreciative gift from some folks, you know, that I trained with and, and you know, trained them. So 
it's pretty customary, especially when you deal with a lot of the military groups and stuff to, to have these kind of symbols that we pass on as, as kind of appreciation for different training events. And this is one of the ones that I keep, I like to have it here. It, it kind of reminds me, you know, when I come in that I need to try to maintain my warrior spirit because, you know, you come in on a Monday sometimes, especially the past year with all the things happening, it's not always easy to, to find your fire. So I use it as a little something to kind of, you know, try to motivate me a little bit more. Uh, I think I said before we went live, but th does it come out on belt ceremonies on, on those occasions? <laughs> we try to keep it here, uh, you know, as it is right now. Um, I think if it were to come out, people would believe that I started drinking again. So we kind of just leave it where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and what came first, the, the, the Spartan helmet or the, the name for the club? So Athens, and you know, that's, there's, there's some Greek, Greek um, links there. What's that all about? Well, you know, to be honest, that was pure accident. Um, years ago, back um, during uh, the, right after September 11th, I got my choice of assignments uh, while I was in Special Forces after our action in Afghanistan. And one of the options was the University of Georgia here in Athens, Georgia. And, um, you know, I've been a long time Herschel Walker fan. He's a big football icon here from years ago. And so I came and checked out the, the job as one of the assignments. Uh, the guy that was there already was a former friend of mine and he kind of knew how to play me. He, the office is right by the football stadium, American football. And so, uh, you know, it overlooks it. He took me over to the gym and they have just an amazing facility with uh, a rock climbing wall, uh, a couple of Olympic pools, and, gigantic weight room he really laid it on very thick and uh, he kind of sold me and uh, I, I'd had an assignment in Georgia before uh, at Fort Benning when I was in the Ranger Battalion and uh, you know I'd always had a good experience a lot of good people everybody's very friendly a lot of a lot of just good energy here and uh, so I decided to take the assignment and that's kind of how I wound up in Athens and so Athens came before the helmet so and, and uh, you know, based on history, there is a little conflict between the Spartans and Athens. So uh, <laughs> true, to, true to form, uh, we sometimes have our, uh, our you know, interesting interaction with, with the community of Athens because it is a college town. So it's a little different, but mm -hmm. great place, great people. And, uh, you know, I, we just decided that, uh, you know, for me, I decided to stay here and go ahead and open up the academy. And actually the beginning of this month was a uh, 16 year celebration for us of, of being in business. So wow. kind of exciting. Wow, yeah, 16 years, that's awesome. That yeah, is... and, and uh, I have, you know, I'm a little stubborn, so that's really kind of how it all came about is I just stuck to it because I am so stubborn. But I would have never guessed that, you know, going into it, that it would be, you know, a second career for me and, and uh, that it would be 16 years later and I'd still be doing it. So, Did you jump in? Did you, I know you're saying about coming to there. How long did you, when you, was there like a crossover between you being in the forces and then you going into running the academy or did you jump straight in or how long did you have sort of as a gap before you started thinking, actually, I'd like to run an academy? I was, I was actually, uh, you know, initially... I started doing racing jiu-jitsu while I was in Special Forces. 
I started training with Hoist Gracie because I had kind of uh, got into a position where I was looking at developing the training program for my special forces group. And during that time, we looked at a lot of different systems, looked at, um, you know, Krav Maga. There were some other programs at the time like SCARS and just a, a variety of different things. And Gracie Jiu-Jitsu kind of won over because of its um, ability to continue to grow and develop. And it has this focus on uh, staying calm under pressure, which worked really well. Uh, some of the other systems like the Krav Maga actually encourages you to, you know, ride the adrenaline and amp up and, and respond with that. Uh, you know, we kind of checked that out, but decided that we liked the philosophy of just, you know, continuing to be more and more calm and be able to build on that for a long time. I, I did the training while I was in the military. I was actually training my special forces team on September 11th, whenever the, the towers were struck by aircraft. And when that happened, things kind of went a little crazy at the time. And, uh, you know, immediately. So that kind of cut into the training for, for the better part of a year and a half easily while we were busy doing missions. And so that kind of, you know, put everything in a different light. And uh, then when I, I got the choice of assignment after action in Afghanistan, I came to the University of Georgia and I started training the, the uh, cadets here, the ROTC cadets that were in training to join the military. And, and I set up a program for them. And actually one of our most successful things that, that we've done throughout all the years is we set up a women's self-defense program. And for the folks at the university and for several years now, we've been doing that uh, for different sororities, different departments, different groups, along with the other folks in the community with uh, you know, different hospital staff, uh, realtors, pretty much anybody who takes an interest. We did one um, a little over a year ago over Christmas for the, the University of Georgia gymnastics team, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, they were a great group. And so that those things kind of led into transitioning to do it as a full-time academy because I, I did it at the university while I was there for my last couple of years. And then I retired and it, it just kind of worked out to be a logical choice. But the main issue that drove it was the, the entire time I was in special forces, I'd waited a long time to have my son, uh, my son, Ryan, who, who actually works with me here at the Academy now. He's my, my business partner and you know we work and train together. But it all came about because I, I had waited and he was you know, just not quite a year old when September 11th happened. And uh, you know, it, I was kind of winding down in my, my career at the time. And then once that happened, everything went a totally different direction. So I was gone from him a good bit. And um, once it came time to retire and get out, I had a lot of offers to continue doing similar, you know, military type jobs, but they all meant that I would be away from him. And, and for me, that just wasn't a good choice at the time. I'd been gone a lot already, waited so that I wouldn't be gone from him. And then, you know, things changed there while he was so young. And I decided I wanted to do something where he could be with me pretty much every day. And that led to the academy and, uh, you know, in fact, I always joke and tell people the reason we have a kids program is because I had to put him into training when we first opened the academy. So, uh, you know, that's kind of how that got started. And it's grown since then 
to where he and I work together every day. It's fantastic. Yeah. How old is um, How old is Ryan now? He's twenty. Um, you know, the, the time goes pretty quick. So, uh, you know, he's, he just turned twenty back in the fall, and um, you know, he he teaches a lot of our classes now, and especially most of our entry level classes, our essentials program, along with all the kids programs. And then, you know, we have some additional things that we do here besides just Gracie Jiu Jitsu. And he's a primary instructor for those programs as well. I think, um, Bill, uh, Randy might be able to help you out to find out what, what age um, is, is, is kind of going to be too, too much of a handful. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I have two boys, Randy. I have uh, Aaron, who's coming up for 11, and Connor, who's uh, just eight. And um, I'm trying to work out at what point they, they, they take over and, 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 and they give me too much trouble and I can't keep up anymore. It's, it's a challenge the whole way. Uh, you know, and I've been pretty lucky. He's pretty calm and, and collected and hasn't been a lot of trouble in any form. But uh, we've channeled that energy from the beginning, primarily into jujitsu and martial arts. And, and I got a great tip from Hori and Gracie back when we were bringing him in to train us and I, when I was at Special Forces. And, you know, and I asked him, how, how do you start, you know, everybody in your family starts almost before they can walk. How do you do that? And, uh, you know, he explained it to me and said that, um, you know, you, you start and you just play and you continually play. And then you always stop while they want more and you tell them, no, we're done for now. So that they are always wanting more. And, and probably one of the best tips I ever got as far as jujitsu goes, because it has worked pretty flawlessly. Yeah. And at what age um, was Ryan able to uh, really give you a, a run for your money on the mats? Well, um, let's see, it, it's, it's really started in the last uh, probably, you know, two, three years for sure, because he's gotten a little more focused on it. Yeah. Uh, so my days are numbered now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, so you've managed to last until he's like 17 to 20. I, see, I, I'm not. I'm not as good as you then, because I'm already starting to. <laughs> Ten-year-olds already giving me nightmares. <laughs> like I said, my the key to my success has always been stubbornness. So that's the only thing I've got on him right now. <laughs> I need to stop feeding my one. He's he's getting too big too quick. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, you know, for me, he went through a stage uh, at one point to where it seemed like every time I turned my head and looked back. He had grown six inches or more. And every conversation we had was, Dad, I'm hungry. You know, and, and I would say, but we just ate. He goes, yeah, but I'm hungry. So that was the indicator that, you know, he was going through these growth spurts. And, and he grew about six to eight inches in, in like five or six months. It was, it was like pretty crazy. And then right after that, it wasn't long before the, the trouble began for me. <laughs> <laughs> Me some hope, Randy. You've given me some, you've given me some hope. I've got a few more years. <laughs> well, I have to confess, I do use some special forces treachery. I will tend to send one of the the higher ranking belts with lots of energy, the younger guys after him first, and wear him down to try to even even the playing field. I've been using that strategy for a while, <laughs> and lately, I, I, as much as possible, I just stay away from it. <laughs> <laughs> 
you, you'll see anyone watching in the video, you see me keep stretching tonight. We, we did uh, cross chokes from guard in the kids' class last night. My neck is killing me. He's cross chokes, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm out of practice. Mm. He's done a number on me. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the little kid's arms that's what I was saying like on, in the class last night because they've got little arms little bony arms they squeeze those arms in just with <laughs> we noticed the same thing with our, our ladies in the class you know they have these very slender arms and you know it's not like the guys they have the big arms so they don't fit in there as snugly and get right up underneath your your neck the ladies do and, and their chokes are just vicious Vicious, yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. So forgive me if I'm doing a lot of this tonight. I'm just trying to, you know. So how many, yeah. times, how many of the kids? Whilst we're talking about the kids, how how many do you sort of get in fairly? How many have you had in your time that have sort of come all the way through? Have you got many that have managed to stick with it the whole way through? Or the um, we, for the longest time, our our martial arts program was the focus for our kids. And we didn't, we didn't start out originally with a, a junior's jujitsu program, but we've had it for several years now. And um, a lot of times it, it's a challenge for them to go from the junior's class and then move into our adult and teen program. So most of them, uh, you know, don't stay quite that long, but we've had a few. And, uh, you know, we're starting to see more of it because our program has been established long enough now that they're starting to grow into that, um, you know, opportunity to where they grow from juniors jujitsu and then move into the teen and adult program. One of the challenges we do have here in Athens is because we are a university town is every four to five years, we lose a, a chunk of people. Usually they're, you know, a lot of times they're some of our very quality folks that have become, you know, part of our jujitsu family here. And we have a big, you know, gap every four or five years or so when we lose a few of those yeah is there like have you got any sort of tips as to what do you think or, or even not even the tips what do you think it is that sort of makes it harder as they move through to the adults is it just the big jump or the a lot of it is is their um you know external social distractions for them uh, yeah. and they, they tend not to want to start when they're in their teen years. Uh, once they get to the teen years, they're kind of too cool for anything. So if they don't have a, uh, a friend who's moving up about the same time, they're usually a little timid. And it's kind of, you know, it's a big change to go from being the big fish in the little pond of the juniors class to jump into our, our much larger, probably twice as large sometimes uh, essentials class where we've got some big guys, you know, that are in there. And it can be very intimidating for youngsters to make that transition along with usually about the time it happens, they've got everything going on in their, their social circle. Things are changing. They're starting to get interested in, you know, boys or girls, the, you know, the opposite sex. And there's a lot of distractions at that point. Plus they tend to compete a little bit with a lot of other activities and sports. Okay. Yeah, so it's just because we we've kind of got we've got a couple of years yet, but we've got a few that are, will be at that point in a you know two three years time maybe, and it's yeah how do we move them up? And we've kind of talked about it and said actually yeah maybe if we can move kind of cohorts up together, mm. if they're all close enough in age and maybe you know once they're old enough to be 
I mean, it sounds silly, but some of them up a bit later because the girls, the adult classes are later at night as well. So making sure that they're old enough to cope with, you know, later bedtimes, obviously. Um, That's a bit of a challenge for our program too, because some of the classes are just a bit later. And so the times also will put a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of pressure on them and make it harder. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe if we can move like a group of them in one go, that would seem like I a I think it makes sense between the two different kids' classes as well, really. Mm. One yeah. of the things that, that has has uh, we've seen a big improvement with, and, and we've started to put a little more emphasis on our kids' program, and we're getting a lot of good tips from Mark Kukro. Uh, yeah. He does really well with kids' program. And, uh, you know, previously we had been, uh, you know, under the Gracie um, system, for the more of a bullyproof type program, yeah. The belting system didn't allow as much um, opportunity to progress the kids, and it took a little longer. And I think that also kind of led to some disinterest. And so those are some things we're kind of restructuring now as we look at how to to develop the kids program and work on growing them older. We've also seen some improvement since Ryan now teaches the kids classes as well as he's the instructor for the essentials classes and uh, they feel a little more comfortable because now they're seeing, you know, they have the same instructor. So that is, has made a difference as well. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Luckily there's only, there's only us three. So that's fine. <laughs> at, at one point they were accusing me of scaring them away when they came to the adult class. So. <laughs> I believe that for a second, unless you were wearing that helmet. See, that's one of the reasons I don't wear the helmet. <laughs> Uh, and you were talking about it being this is kind of I guess this kind of current as well at the moment I don't know if you've seen it's popped up a few times and this kind of reflects back on obviously we were saying about the the warrior spirit and stuff like that I don't know if you've seen all the posts recently about the original start with jiu-jitsu and there's been lots of people saying recently about well you know it's this much more violent past that no one talks about and everyone talks about it's about respect and being gentle and they're saying how you know just one side of the the argument saying oh no it was much more sort of violent than that and what do you what, what do you think <laughs> i can testify a little bit that that when i started um there was no focus on jujitsu for everyone uh it was uh basically jujitsu for those who survived and uh and part of that was we we came into it you know, from the military. So it wasn't a, uh, you know, welcome everybody program. It was more of a, uh, you know, survival of the fittest and, and the purpose was very focused. But one of the things that I discovered over the, the years, especially using it for programs to train special forces and law enforcement is that the approach works very well now that it's been modernized for you know, guys that are in an intense background, we, we still are very focused on our law enforcement training program. And there's a lot of discussion about, um, you know, the, that the police and justice programs need to be restructured. And there may be some truth to that. Some of the, the issues that come into play is the approach to training military has always been the idea that I want you to be prepared for the worst possible scenario. Mm. And, you know, 
when you have lots of people coming in that are very interested and your goal is to just keep the best, it's easy to structure your program so that it does weed out anybody who can't handle the program you have. And you mm -hmm. may want to do that because, you know, you're trying to prepare them for you know, unknown things that, that just can't be uh, predicted and you want to kind of test their spirit from the beginning. One of the mm -hmm. things we've seen is that it's actually more effective if I bring you in and I actually build and develop your spirit working towards being able to handle things. So it's a little different approach and, and we use that now. We, we joke a lot about the old days when we first started the academy, especially coming straight out of the military. Uh, I still had a lot of that training style and uh, some of the guys, you know, a lot of people that gravitated to the academy at that time really loved it. They liked that hardcore, you know, approach and, you know, very fight focused, self-defense oriented, which we still are, but it was more of a weeding out training program, um, which is not really the best way to approach it as an academy where, uh, you know, you're trying to, to grow as a business. Uh, it's not very practical to run off all your clients and, you know, see so who can stand it. The other piece of that is in order to have a good program, you need to maintain guys for years so that they can become mentors for your new people. And we've seen that over time as well. Once you have people that are, you know, acting as these mentors in every class, everybody moves up much quicker. We, we always uh, kind of laugh about the concept that when we started, it was a goat trail through the jungle. And now because we have so much structure and we have all these people that are involved and committed to it, it's a six lane highway. And so it's one of the reasons we're, we're having much more effective uh, you know, practitioners in jujitsu itself and we've gotten a lot of that from Professor Sauer. You know, he, he was definitely there during the, the blood and guts era. And, uh, you know, he will tell you frequently about as a result, you know, he's had 12 shoulder surgeries, I think it was, and all these issues. And that through all of that, he's learned to train smarter, not harder. And so have we. Uh, I feel pretty lucky that, you know, when I talk to a lot of my, my friends and stuff is, and, and I'll knock on wood, I maybe shouldn't even say it, but I haven't had a surgery. You know, I, I've, I've had my time out and, and even have some injuries now, but it hasn't been, you know, so uh, difficult or so trying that it, it pushed me out of the art completely. And one of the things we, we try to do is get people to realize that if you can come in and we can teach you the technique instead of, you know, make you rely on your intestinal fortitude or your heart to uh, survive the, the rigor that you too will, you know, become lethal and, and very competent at jujitsu. So that's kind of how we approach it now. And it only proves jujitsu more when you have a very small and unathletic person come into, you know, train. And next thing you know, they're the ones that are using the techniques to submit much larger much more aggressive people. All right, so, so many questions, Randy. So many questions. I can't even. I, I should be making notes to, uh, <laughs> to try and remember them. But I, I mean, you mentioned the mentors, and you mentioned you know like the important role that they play in in bringing people along faster. I guess for for new people to jujitsu, 
you know, that it's going to feel like a, like they're drowning, right? You know, the, the potential is at the start that they, they just don't know what's going on. And, and I guess if you're, if you let too many fairly new people, you know, just, just go at it with each other, whoever's the, the newest is, tends to gonna just feel like they're drowning. So uh, do you make a, uh, like a conscious effort to try and put the, the newer people with your mentors more, more regularly to, 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 to stop that kind of, you know, bucks locking horns, so to speak? Absolutely. We, in fact, our program is built around that concept that we, we require all of our folks that are blue belt and above to return to so many essentials, which is our entry-level classes, you know, for each promotion period. So much of their training has to require, you know, and it is requiring them to come back to these beginner-level classes uh, for two reasons. One, so they can act as a mentor for new folks. And two, so they have a chance to see the foundational techniques with these advanced eyes that they now have from training a while. And one of the things that always happens is people come back, they see the same technique that they've seen a thousand times or more, and suddenly they discover a new detail that makes it you know, much more effective. So that's kind of why we do it. And, and in the process, we pair these uh, senior folks, and we even look through them and look for selected folks that we move into more of a mentorship program. And we actually do training for them uh, internally at our academy. We have a three-level program we call our STORM program, our special team of role models. And it's an instructor development program where we give them some specific techniques on how to serve as an ambassador to new students coming in, you know, conducting warm-ups, teaching the techniques, and, you know, just good personal interaction so that when new people come in, we know they're already terrified. That, you know, they're scared. It takes a lot of courage to walk into a place and, and say, hey, I'd, I'd like to get beaten up and, and learn how to, you know, not have it happen all the time. So we get those folks, we introduce them to our new students and start to partner them with somebody that we feel is going to be a good fit, um, you know, even personality-wise, if they have things in common, so that their experience is, you know, much better as a new, newer participant in the program. And what we've seen is it, it has a, a dual effect of developing new students to a higher level much faster, and it has the effect of introducing uh, the role of a mentor to these senior people to where now they have to articulate the techniques on a different level, and their jujitsu gets better as well. So it, it kind of is a win-win for everybody, and it just makes it a much better experience, which uh, you guys know from being in the Famous Hour Association, we have a very special culture. Um, uh, I've been to a couple places where, man, they, I was sure they, they wanted to kill me. And, and just because I was not one of their regular folks, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I didn't understand that. When I first came from the military, I went to train and a place I and, and uh, living here in Athens, there was no jujitsu, you know, in uh, early 2003. So I started to search and see where I was going to continue my training. And I had to drive to Atlanta, about a two hour drive. The one place I found, unbeknownst to me, because I didn't know there was a difference, was a, a sport competition oriented place. And uh, when I went there, 
all I got, and, and I've gotten my blue belt from Hoist Gracie, and it, it was a bit of a trial by fire just to get it. So I wasn't as technical as any of my blue belts would be today. Uh, I, like I said, most of my success was based on stubbornness and maybe some, you know, special forces fitness and, and you know, <coughs> bless you. And so one of the things that happened was every time I came to class, they would send these upper level purple belts to just try to, you know, destroy my, you know, <laughs> my confidence completely. And, and it was a great physical workout, but truthfully, I wasn't really learning any jujitsu. And I definitely wasn't learning it with the same detail and style that I'd learned from Hoist and Horian Gracie, where the focus was on the details. And I, I didn't understand at the time, the difference. And as I went on later, I found a place based on the recommendation from Horian, once I, I saw him, about a year later that was focused on the same philosophy for self-defense. And most people these days that train at a competition academy will insist that there's, there's no difference, that they train for self-defense as well. And I think one of the pieces that, that they're misinterpreting is it's not that the techniques themselves are so different. The techniques are very much the same, but the approach and the mindset is completely different. And mm -hmm. And until you've been involved in a situation where that is very key, you may not recognize the difference. And, and we emphasize those things at, at our academy very readily. Uh, I'd like to tell people, I'm a jujitsu guy who doesn't want to get on the ground. And that, you know, it's very baffling to them. And it's not mm -hmm. to say that I, I don't know a few techniques on the ground, but I really don't want to be there. I want it to be my last alternative because in a you know, street situation, once I'm down on the ground, I can only focus on one individual. And I have a huge blind spot, you know, in mm -hmm. behind me for, for a good um, portion of the circumference around me. So I'm very vulnerable to somebody else getting involved. And so, and there are some other things as well that we integrate into our approach to teaching that makes it very focused on self-defense. And, and it's part of why people are coming back to that, you know, that bloody history because it worked against, you know, these much bigger opponents. It's a little different now when everybody knows jujitsu and there's a lot of jujitsu available out there, but there is still a difference between the sport and the self-defense mindset. Yeah, and no, I completely agree. I think one of the things about those mentors, you know, one of the things that always crosses my mind is I don't feel like, you know, when somebody's going full bore and it's like, that chaos almost I don't feel like there's an awful lot of learning going on um it's, it's it's kind of you know reactionary and it's kind of you know trying to slow that that chaos down so I think if you've got those mentors that can just operate that tiny little bit ahead of where their opponent is maybe it's it's a calm enough pace for both people to learn the, the person that's ahead gets a better awareness of kind of base and, and, and kind of where they are and how they distribute their weight or whatever the case may be, whatever position they're in. But those, the person, you know, giving them a chance to escape, you know, without any ego involved, it just feels like the, the, the most logical or the, the best environment to learn for me. The, the, we always like to refer back to professor's analogy of, you know, if you walked out day one, you'd never really driven a car and he threw you into a Formula One race car and then, you know, try to get you to go as fast as possible, 
You know, would you be able to handle the road? And uh, of course not. <laughs> but so, you know, when, yeah, you'd spin out, it would be chaos. And that's really what happens a lot of times when somebody starts to roll for the first time. So once what we do is we, we encourage folks and we require them to initially get 10 classes before they start to roll. After mm -hmm. their 10th class, they have some techniques. We know at this point, you know, 10 classes is really nothing in the world of jujitsu. So we give them for their first role, we put them with one of these mentors and they go through what we call a rolling orientation class. The rolling orientation class is where the person will walk through the, the process of rolling and what the goal should be during that time. So that's not just, you know, survival. And the new person now has an understanding and we start them in different positions. So they understand their goal in each major position and they start to reference the few techniques that they do know. We pair them up with the senior person who will give them opportunities you know, for different techniques. They will kind of hint to them, hey, here's, a, here's an elbow escape and help them recognize it. Because you know, if you're going through it fast, you, you may not even realize this would be the appropriate move here. But if somebody keeps showing it to you and then they start to you know, more uh, aggressively ramp up, but gradually, then it's, it's a lot easier for you to start to figure out what you're supposed to do. So we instruct our senior guys that that's their role. We, we also really emphasize to them that it's their responsibility to teach every person that they roll with. So that, you know, and that's not to say that they're going to just stop and talk. It's to let them know that, hey, there's a learning process here and you're responsible for it as the senior person. And we give them opportunities too to square off with their friends of equal or higher rank and get out their frustrations and, and you know, more effectively test their technique. But when they're rolling with a, a lower belt, you know, especially anybody that's below blue belt, they are very responsible for that person's experience. And we want them to realize that and take it seriously. And at what point, Randy, do you start to kind of invite those students on to becoming mentors? At what, at what point in their jujitsu journey? Well, the, for us, it's, it's somewhat personality driven. And one of the things about it is because it's already, uh, you know, in play with every class we do, it kind of is just passed on. So everybody has it naturally. And everybody that partners up with a senior person gets a, a private lesson during a group class. And so at, at the blue belt level, we start looking for people that you know have their detail down a little more refined and their personality is a little more inviting and in you know extroverted to where they're going to be good at you know sharing with someone and then we start to develop it from there we we have the uh, storm program levels we pick people to come into that usually about um you know blue belt three stripe and above is where we'll start to look at that purple belt is where we really expect you to be uh, on board with the mentor responsibilities. And our system kind of requires you as a purple belt to learn the instructor process and be able to teach the, uh, what we call our essentials techniques, our foundational level one. And um, we do that so that one, they have to articulate the techniques in detail, like we said, and two, they expose themselves to being asked questions from 
the people they're presenting them to, and now you've got to think about the answers. So it kind of pushes them up. We don't necessarily require them to go on to be instructors. We just require them to go through a portion of that experience so they learn their jujitsu on another level. Yeah, really do that like a separate thing so do you have like separate sessions that you do with those guys to try and to, to go through that stuff with them or we we do it as part of the storm program so that they do that and then what we have is um we have a, a online version of our program where there's videos for all of our lessons and there are videos of ryan and i teaching the actual classes uh they're available to our all of our students, as soon as you become a student, you have access to those uh, videos that are in the video library for the course. But as you move up towards Purple Belt, we will you know, get with you and for your progression, the requirement is for you to watch the class uh, so many times. And then when you get to the proper iteration, you watch the class and then you'll immediately teach it right after. And we don't have you teach the whole class right off the bat, what we do is we do what's called team teaching. We, we will be out there as the primary instructor. We will use you as the demonstrator for the techniques one time through all the lessons. And then the next time you come out, we will have you start to teach portions so that we're kind of there to lifeguard and bail you out if you miss a detail or things go awry. And it, it puts you on the spot enough to where you have to articulate it, but it also lets you know that, hey, there's somebody right here in case I get totally stumped and, you know, because a lot of people rate any form of public speaking uh, much scarier than death. So, you know, our goal is to push people to new limits, but we don't want to push them past their capacity. It's interesting because a lot of um, tradition with the martial arts, isn't it, is that not a good one, is that what you do is if someone wants to be an instructor, you go, oh, you've got to teach the kids first. <laughs> right, teach the kids first. Okay, now you can teach the adults. And it's almost like, you're placing the kids classes as second class to the adults when actually they probably require more. <laughs> yeah, a lot of folks do that. Our system's reversed. The last place you get to uh, work as an instructor is with the kids because you, you've got to have your stuff a little tighter and a little more detailed to present it to the kids because they're learning on a different level and it's key that they get quality information. So we, we do it a little bit opposite. Yeah. 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 My, my other question for you, Randy, while, while you were talking before, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the history and how it was hard when you started and how it's, you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit different now with, um, you know, jiu-jitsu for all mentality. Uh, I, I don't know. <clears throat> One of the questions was, have you ever promoted somebody to black belt? I'm not sure. Are you, which... which I have, I have... Um... I have uh, basically three guys that have been uh, recommended and went before Professor Sauer to be promoted to black belt. And uh, th those guys had been with me uh, the entire time and uh, very proud of how well they did and, and the feedback I got from Professor about their results. And so, so the answer to that is yes. And then on the martial arts side, I've promoted some black belts as well. And, and do you get, do you get more pride? I don't know, if, even if that's the right question, but forgive me, I don't have the words tonight, but do you get more pride from taking somebody to that higher rank, you know, that, that you know, that, you know, that the black belt, um, if they're, if it's like steel sharpening steel, or do you get, 
do you get more pride if it's you've taken somebody that walked into the academy with with not a lot of um, you know confidence and then you take them to that 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 place? Have you I, had any of those yet? I'd have to say that it's apples and oranges. We we've been really blessed to have you know folks that have come in and and have been really down and out and and you could tell it was all they could do to make it into the academy to get set up and trained and have seen them absolutely flourish and become very confident, capable people that, you know, are very versed in jujitsu. So that's always a, an outstanding moment. We love that. It's great. The, the other piece with, you know, taking guys and, you know, people to black belt is that, um, you know, we, we always let the folks know that when I send you out in front of professor to test for your black belt, you're not really, you know, he's not really testing you, you know, he's watching you and, and I'm the one getting rated for how well you look. So it's important that, that they understand that it doesn't matter, you know, um, so much how they have prepared to this point, but that they realize they don't need to be nervous for the test because I'm the one that's on the line. <laughs> and, yep. and, it's my responsibility when I send somebody in front of Professor Sauer that they are absolutely the best that I can prepare them to be. Because the last thing I ever want is for him to look at me and be disappointed in the product that I produced with the jujitsu that he's given me. That's like, I can, uh, I can, I can empathize with that because every time we have. <laughs> Professor Maganello on for a grading, over for a grading to do, you know, gradings for our, you know, someone moving up to blue belt or like with Bill's purple belt. I sit there like this, <laughs> just terrified, you know, way more terrified than the people grading could ever be because, yeah, like you say, it's your, yeah, you, 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 I kind of feel every, every sort of move they're doing going, oh, are you going to, oh, and it's, yeah. I think one of the worst experiences I ever had, even, you know, aside from all of my time in special forces when things went wrong was, um, and, and you guys have had uh, my buddy Andy on here before. He's one of the guys that, that was with me all the way up until uh, he tested for his black belt with Professor Sauer and did an amazing job. But along the way, when he was a blue belt, he came to me and decided that uh, he wanted to do an MMA fight. And, uh, you know, not really what we do. We're, we're very uh, self-defense oriented. So the competition thing isn't really how we focus. But, you know, because he's one of my students, my uh, approach is to always try to help my students reach their goals. Mm. And so he had expressed to me that this was one of his goals. Well, we set it all up. We went to do his first cage fight. And uh, the evening of the cage fight, while we're getting ready, you know, he looked at me and he said, Randy, I, I'm a little nervous. You know, I, I've never done this before. I've never been in a fight. And I said, oh, that's okay. You know, it's just, you know, you're going to get out there. Just do what you have learned to do. You know, you've been in fights before. And he goes, no, no, you don't understand. I've never been in any kind of fight. And I was like, what? You're just now telling me this? So <laughs> to take him out there and put him into the cage and have to stand on the side and you know, try to yell instructions and watch uh, was probably the most terrifying thing there is because you know it's it's actually easier sometimes when you can do it yourself mm. and instead of having to sit by and, and watch it unfold based on all the preparation. 
Well, luckily, you know, he uh, finished the fight very capably with an Americana from half yard in, um, you know, like uh, I think a minute and 27 seconds. So, but before that, there were a few times he was trying to close to the clinch and he was actually moving towards the person and, and you know, took a couple of shots and my heart dropped, you know, in my stomach. So eventually they got down on the ground and he was on the bottom and I was actually relieved because, you know, he, he had uh, in the, the tussle been put on the bottom and at least he was on the ground where we knew what to do. So, you know, it worked out, but I, I know what you mean about that fear of the sidelines. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, to be fair, yeah, I'd almost forgotten about that. The amount of, the amount of MMA fights that we've cornered, Robin and I have cornered for some of our guys before and, yeah, yeah, I'd almost forgotten about that. Or maybe I'd blanked it out. Yeah. Not three <laughs> wise monkeys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's part of that, uh, you know, transition from the bloody history to where, you know, jujitsu was applied for the street fights and the altercations at the beach in, in Brazil to the, the MMA error that was designed to prove its effectiveness. And so, you know, it, it's kind of that area in between. And now, People are reflecting back on, you know, the the more aggressive birth and beginning of the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu system. I don't know if it's been topped off this week with uh, the video that Robin showed us, which was uh, Gordon Ryan slapping Andre Galval. I don't know if you've seen that video. I think everybody's seen that. <laughs> and, and we just we we used it on. Uh, we do a quiz night every Thursday, so we used it last night to say, right, this is managing the distance. <laughs> or not managing the distance. It, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, um, it, it's kind of hard to, to uh, take a, a position on it since you don't really know what happened. You only have, you know, a snapshot yeah. of it. Obviously the, the guys, um, you know, have some very strong feelings about their interactions with, with each other. That happens a lot of times with, with any type of competition. And when you get something that's so personal like any type of MMA or jiu-jitsu match where it is a one-on-one -on -one thing, you can see how it would happen very easily. It's hard as well, isn't it, for people looking from the outside that have never been involved in some kind of competition or, you know, obviously definitely with your background with the special force and things like that, where you've been involved in things that are heated. But it's hard not to get personally vested. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the, yeah. that's the phrase. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it is a challenge to um, to try not to become emotionally engulfed in the situation. We we require our purple belts to actually recite something from Horing Gracie called Focused Calm. And uh, it's so that they, they start to embody that concept that, you know, it's about staying calm in chaos. And we want them to be very focused on that concept. And that's really the whole reason that when I was in Special Forces, we selected Gracie Jiu-Jitsu to be the, you know, the foundation and the keystone to the, the training that we were going to develop for the guys there in Special Forces. How many of your, this is sort of not knowing, how many of your guys that you sort of operated with when you're in the forces, would you say that's kind of a, a characteristic of that next level of Special Forces rather than the standard forces that actually you've got that sort of calmness and uh, a lot of people misinterpret it as, as a form of unprofessionalism because a lot of the guys in special forces, and you see it sometimes in other 
uh, groups that have these, you know, type of intense missions. But there's a lot of, uh, you know, what people might perceive as goofing off. You know, there's a lot of aloof humor, things like that. And a lot of people just kind of look at it and go, you know what? Uh, these guys aren't very professional. They're not very serious. But the one thing that you will notice is that the instant that things get uh, heated in any form or fashion, then you see it transition very elaborately and the guys will maintain their focus no matter what's going on. So the key is for them to, to look at things a little differently and be able to kind of maintain perspective. The thing that you notice is the first time something like that happens, um, you're not very in tune with anything that occurred. And, and in fact, a lot of times you'll go back and you can't actually remember any of the details of what happened at all. You may need somebody else to tell you what transpired. It's another reason that, that um, you know, we have uh, a lot of empathy for the law enforcement guys who have to go out and do this sort of thing. And, you know, civilians watching some phone footage back home may not be able to interpret that for the value that it has, because it's really hard to understand that you're so adrenalized to a point that you really can't even remember what transpired. The only way to get past that is to continually place yourself in situations where that adrenaline becomes more and more normal for you. That, and we refer to it as adrenaline inoculation. And we do a, a lot of training here that, that uh, applies that concept. Even in our women's self-defense program, we apply portions of that to help make it uh, more oriented towards a realistic attack. And that's the other piece that people that uh, are on the sports side don't recognize as uh, being different is that whole adrenaline situation. Now there is some value in competing because that is one place where you can get that you know unusual adrenaline surge because you're going up against somebody that you have no concept of their capabilities. You're in front of a lot of people. So there's the opportunity to embarrass yourself completely. And there's some pressure on there to just not, you know, look terrible. And that is very helpful in creating a lot of adrenaline. And after you've done it a few times, then you're much more attuned to that situation going out to compete and being, you know, filled with adrenaline doesn't affect you as much. So that portion is very key. And I, I've been lucky enough during my time in Special Forces that I got to hang out with some of the most impressive guys on the planet. We have some guys that are just phenomenal. People, uh, you know, hopefully someday some of the stories that are still classified from some of the things that happened after 9-11 will be released. Some of them have. If you've seen uh, the movie uh, 12 Strong, it's about some friends of mine that uh, actually wound up on horseback during the conflict. But there's some incredible things that were done by guys that are just amazing. I was lucky enough to get to hang out with those guys. And a lot of it has you know, influenced my behavior and personality and has made me a better person. That's the beautiful thing about the Pedro Sauer organization. You get to hang out with all these incredible people that have you know, this energy, this mentality, and this work ethic that make you a better person just by being near it. And you, you kind of you know, absorb a little bit of it. And the more you hang around, the better you become. That's why I try to hang around for professors so much He's such an incredible, nice guy that I'm hoping it'll it'll make me a much better person than I think it has. I don't, I don't, uh, again, I haven't had an experience of a lot of different associations, but 
I don't feel like there's many associations out there that have the connection that that, that the Pedro Sauer Association has. Like I don't, you know, that I think a lot of other associations from what I've seen and a little bit of experience is that you've got this kind of network and they kind of operate as individual clubs, but they're under the banner, but it's almost more you're under the banner to allow you to practice your art rather than be part of the, the family kind of thing. And I just, you I, know. I think, you're, I think you're very correct. And, and one of the challenges to martial arts itself, I think is because it is kind of an, an actual individual, you know, activity and it's very individual focused. So it's hard for some guys that have never been involved in anything different to develop a really good concept of team. I, I feel pretty blessed that I spent my time in special forces where everything is about the team and how well the team does. And it's really your responsibility to sacrifice completely on the highest level for the benefit of the team. And, um, you know, a lot of places don't do that. And I've been exposed to martial arts folks that, that obviously, you know, just were not exposed to the concept of team on a level to where it really affected them. And you could tell they were still very individually focused. I know for me, it's really all about how well my students do. It, it doesn't matter at this point what I'm capable of doing, what I'm able to do. And I've met a lot of martial arts and guys and trained with a lot of jujitsu folks that their jujitsu, especially in the association, is levels above, you know, above and beyond my capability. I'll never reach their capacity and knowledge and talent for jujitsu. But what I focus on is how much of what I know I can transfer to my students and share with them because they really don't care how much you know, it's how much you can teach them. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's what I try to do. Uh, the greatest uh, you know, satisfaction for me is when a, one of my students submits me. That's, uh, you know, that means that I've, I've taught them well, they mm -hmm. taught me, uh, you know, maybe I didn't take them serious enough. Uh, and, and sometimes they just flat out beat me because they're better than I am. And, and I have the pride of knowing that I taught them to be that. So it's always exciting to, to see that happen. We spoke about that before, didn't we? I think it was when Cam was on the podcast you know, some time ago now. But it's this, this idea, and I can't remember where the, where the quote comes from. It was in a book I read, but I can't remember what the, who the, what the source was. Um, and it's basically this idea of to the master, the, the sword. You know, it's, it's the highest honour is almost to be got by your own student. Because like you say, you've done your job properly. Absolutely. Yeah. There was a Randy, I was going to say, Randy, you talked about the, um, the adrenaline, um, the impact of adrenaline and, and how you try and desensitize yourself to that. You've obviously experienced lots of things in your life that makes, makes you quite, I think, you know, immune to that, that adrenaline rush. But what, what still gets you today? I mean, other than watching your students test, um, what else gets you? <laughs> Well, uh, uh, coming on to do a podcast, I think, is probably one of the scariest things. <laughs> uh, the, uh, to be honest, you know, the, the, I, I can't say that, and, and a lot of people ask me this, and I've heard it a lot of different ways, that, well, you know, they say, well, that's not uh, difficult for you because you're not scared at all. And I'm like, well, you're wrong. Uh, and, and one of the things a lot of folks don't know is that while I was in Special Forces, I, I'm afraid of heights. Uh, and if you look at the job, there's a lot of things involved that have to do with heights, you know, jumping out of airplanes, 
climbing mountains, uh, all sorts of things, repelling out of helicopters. All those things for me were especially terrifying. And there's a, a misconception these days that you shouldn't be afraid of things. And uh, I think even Hickson will say that he's afraid of everything. And, and I think that's the key is, and, and a great testament has been this past year with the pandemic. And, um, you know, a, a lot of people have spoken to me about it and said, well, you know, I, it's easy for you, you're not afraid. And, and I have to say, I'm terrified just like everybody else. The difference is I've learned that anytime you allow fear to push and make your decisions, they're not gonna be as good. So my goal was always to try to manage that fear, put it aside in the moment enough to make a quality choice, you know, to, to make mm -hmm. things come out okay. And I think that's really the secret. So um, I'm still scared of a lot of things, but I, I just am able to manage it a little bit different because I have, you know, been terrified many times. I think it's a counts for an awful lot, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> There's no substitute for experience. Yeah. There's kind of a bit of a bit of a, a thing at the moment about not, you know, removing all of those difficult things and those, you know, anything that scares you or anything that you know, kind of is is too difficult, or you know, not having uh, not having winners' medals anymore, having participation trophies, and I just yeah, Rob and I were talking about it the other it's day. But, too, it? Yeah, it's creating way more of a problem than it's solving. You know, I, I have to agree. I can't help but feel like a lot of the rising anxiety issues with kids and teenagers. You know, one is is a digital society, but also two is having a lack of challenge. I, saw I think it's also Pete. Go on, I was just saying it's it's not, it's not just lack of challenge as much as learning how to lose. That's yeah. massive. Yeah. I I saw an interesting uh, quote this morning. One of my SF friends had sent me a meme that said, uh, "You know, it all started with bicycle helmets." That. Uh, you know, the bicycle helmets, then participation trophies, and we've come to a point to where nobody feels any pain. And it said, you know, that mistakes should hurt because that's how you learn. And yeah. at some point, you know, I have to agree with it. I'm not saying uh, we shouldn't keep the bicycle helmets, maybe, but <laughs> it's good for you to put yourself in situations where they may not work out the way you thought. There may be some some loss, some disappointment. I think we can all look at some point in our life and realize that we learned more when things didn't work out the way we wanted than when things came to us easily. I know for me, that's always been the case. The things that happened and, and challenged me and, and the times that I flat out failed are the lessons that I remember and I've, I've come to you know be much more successful because of. So I always, think it's important that you, you know, you have those opportunities to fail. Maybe not catastrophically, but you've got to, got to keep testing yourself and pushing to where, you know, you're okay with, with it not working out perfectly. Have you, um, I don't know if it's an expression or whether it's a scientific thing, you must have heard of that thing of uh, type two fun. Have you heard of that? I don't know if I've heard that one, type two fun. Type two fun is where something you do something that's such a challenge and quite unpleasant at the time, but after you've completed it, 
it's way more fun than I don't know something that's that that takes yeah. you five minutes and is fun. Right. Yeah. It's well, <laughs> I, I saw a thing a while back that uh, it was a, a psychological test where they uh, they hooked electrodes to a person's brain and they did it with a number of different people and they were able to electronically stimulate separate portions of their brain. And when they did this, what they discovered, there was one key commonality that people uh, stimulated a portion of their brain more than any other. Any guesses what it would be? You know, a lot of people would say it, it was the pleasure center, things like that. Uh, it actually turned out to be the part of the brain that causes mild irritation. So, it, and, and out of that, what they developed is that the human mind is structured for challenge and even frustration. So we constantly seek it and, and we get something out of it as a result that is really important to our well-being. That makes sense. If you haven't got anything, if you haven't got anything too stressful going on, you sort of start to make things stressful. <laughs> yeah, self-induced drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's why jujitsu is such a hit, right? Because no matter what, sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're frustrated, you're, you're not progressing like you thought, you're not doing as well as you, you expected, and those kind of things. So I think that has been one of the key reasons that jujitsu should have an addiction warning to it. Yeah, definitely. And you can talk, like, it almost feels like you're talking too much about... You, feel like you're over prosthesizing the benefits of jiu-jitsu but it's so can you do that <laughs> well no probably not <laughs> i'm giving it a good go yeah i'm giving it a good go but yeah i mean um uh again i was uh, an expression the other day that someone was saying like you've got um again it was that guy on the rogan podcast Robin, what did i say his name was the uh, ai guy oh lex friedman lex friedman and he was saying you've got all these people that had jiu-jitsu as their way of releasing their frustration. Now you've got a load of people sitting at home that haven't got that that demon. They can't exercise that demon at all. <laughs> yeah, that's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to exercising mine. But Well, you know, to, to kind of relieve some of that, uh, one of the things we've been working on at the Pedro Sauer Association, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but they just uh, released a new website. It just completely redone it it's just out you know kind of in the early phase it's still there's still a lot of uh you know porting and and reconstruction being done behind the scenes but there's a brand new website so i would encourage everybody to check that out at uh, pedrosauer.com and you're going to see a lot of things happening there we've been working a lot on really making that uh portion of the association much more beefed up and and uh you know much stronger to bring a lot more to the folks that are interested in jujitsu, especially the affiliates. And, uh, you know, we've got good stuff coming up. We've got, we're only about six weeks away, maybe less actually to the, uh, the fall conference. I know you guys are still locked down imprisoned over there, uh, in the tower. Isn't that what you say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, April 15th, for people that are that are free or who can break free and escape, uh, that's when the next conference starts uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, for the Pedro Sauer Association. And, and we're going to have a big uh, weekend during that event. Cool. So, yeah, I'll put, I'll put the um, link to the 
to the website into the um into the notes for the show for itunes and for uh, for youtube so people can find that easily and check that out um so yeah i'll be honest i haven't seen i haven't seen it yet so i'll be jumping on straight afterwards as well to have a look at that um and, well it just actually came out this morning so uh, okay. the press. an exclusive <laughs> of course this is why you guys had for an exclusive <laughs> First is that your is that your role on the board of directors, uh, Randy, to uh, to give the world exclusives? Well, uh, I can't say that it's my role, but uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll I may be able to leak some information here and there, especially to you guys, uh, you know, on the podcast. But uh, there's a lot of uh, guys that are on the board now. Some very talented folks. We talked about that earlier about how much talent there is in the association. And it extends beyond jujitsu. We've got some great folks now that are working and, and with professor's guidance and, uh, you know, him pushing us. There's a lot of things he wants to, to accomplish for the affiliates. He's been very focused lately, and that's his goal is to really put more jujitsu out there. And uh, I think you're going to be uh, awesomely impressed, uh, especially by the time the, the conference hits. Uh, that thing should be probably fully up and running. And I think you're going to see some pretty amazing things. So we're excited about it. Is there any, uh, I know obviously you can't sort of, sort of give away too much, but is there, what, what do you think, what do you see the sort of the, the future of the, the association being? How do you see it was, how do you see that sort of going? Well, I think one of the things we're, we're trying to do more and professor wants us to do more is to provide more, elements and assistance to the affiliates, to the school owners, the instructors. And one of the big things we've been kind of working on to roll out is a business side. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. One of the things that I've noticed in my 16 years of running an academy is how many other academies and instructors opened up around me and didn't last very long. And, and that may have been good for me, but you know, at the same time, it was kind of disheartening to see that some of these guys who are tremendous, you know, tremendously talented martial artists weren't able to keep their academies open uh, because they didn't understand the business side. And, yeah. you know, it's one of those things that I take as a, a big responsibility when somebody comes to the door uh, as a white belt and they're telling me their goal is to make black belt. Well, so what they're telling me is they really would like to commit to 10 years of dedicated hard training. And so with that, I have to, to accept the responsibility that that means I've gotta be dedicated to making sure that the academy stays open and available for 10 years or more so that they can achieve that. And you know, if you don't take that responsibility seriously when it comes to running an academy, then you're gonna be letting down a lot of people. And that's part of that team concept that uh, not everybody understands. They, they see their business fail as an academy and they think, oh, you know, how terrible for me, I wasn't able to make it work. But they don't necessarily think about the hundred plus or more people that, you know, they let down in the process. That's a good way, yeah, it's a good way of seeing it as well. Because there's a bit of a stigma over here about martial arts academies making money or being successful or being a business being a business yeah there's this real weird stigma in the uk about and i don't know if it's the same i think you guys have had a business model slightly longer for academies but 
yeah, the thing over here was that you should almost be doing it for free. You know, people are like, well, you can't charge for martial arts. You can't do that. So it's it's a... really very much the same here. Uh, and uh, it's unfortunate because people base that model on a lot of the, you know, the Asian monk philosophy that people taught for free. And, and what they don't realize in the research is some of those programs were government subsidized, you know, especially like in Japan, China, where the government was fully behind martial arts being taught to the citizens and then not having to pay for it. Um, the, the challenge here in the US is that it does still have that stigma of being, you know, that you shouldn't charge. And if you do, you might be, you know, slimy business practice or you're a McDojo. Uh, the, the thing that, that I always tell guys when they look at that is if you're, you know, doing something properly, you're not doing anything, um, you know, slimy or underhanded, and you're providing a good service, you're helping a lot of people. It's the same as, as in some ways as being a doctor, uh, especially these days, it's like being a, a, a therapist. So you're helping a lot of people. And as long as you're going about it, you know, using uh, upstanding and, and uh, legal methods, you know, you're not cheating anybody, you're not doing anything that's just unscrupulous. There's no reason for you to feel bad about it being a business. Um, you know, you're, you're sharing what you have learned in order to help people enhance their lives. And, and I think that's an admirable thing to do, but you do have to do it right. You know, there's, um, there's always the used car salesman approach for any type of business. And if you're in it as the, the profit to be your first priority, then I think you're doing the wrong thing. I always say that, you know, if you, uh, if you take care of people first, then the profit will come. Now, my bank account might argue with that sometimes and, and say that maybe uh, I'm wrong. But the good thing about it is um, I always sleep well at night. I always get good feedback. I have people that come by the academy that I haven't seen in a while and tell me how much, you know, we benefited them by the training. Or, you know, they come in and thank us for the change they've seen in their children. And so we realize that, hey, obviously we're doing something well. And uh, we would love it if we could give it away for free. But the other thing I've seen, and, and this has happened uh, primarily on the law enforcement side and the women's self-defense side, is there have been times when we've given the training for free and less people actually attended. They didn't yeah. put any value on it because we didn't assign a value to it. And so, you know, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah, we've definitely seen that as well, haven't we, Pete? Yeah, I'm a massive believer in that, that people have to have some value in something to respect it enough to actually do it. We, we frequently find, you know, because we're a professional academy, this is what we do full time, that, um, you know, you have hobbyists that, that do teach classes in the evening and stuff, and they do it for fun. And that's great. They help a lot of people as well. But sometimes people don't understand the difference that, hey, we're totally dedicated. We have a facility open, you know, committed to you. And it was especially evident during the shutdown on how we had to, you know, find a way to maintain everything despite what was happening. And then and you know, there's a lot of guys out there in the association that are doing it part time and have another full time job. And their their whole dream and goal is to get to do this full time because they've seen the value in the people they're able to help part-time. That's also one of the things that that professor has 
kind of pushed us to do is to help more folks that are working on a, uh, you know, a part-time basis teaching jujitsu to get to where if they want, it can become their full-time profession. And so we're, we're trying to bring out a lot of opportunities and share a lot of knowledge in order to be able to do that. Exciting times. Very exciting. Yeah. And I think you yeah. got to get through this other stuff, right? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We just got to get through that other stuff. And I think, yeah, we've said it quite a few times that we think, you know, from looking at other people's experience that have opened up earlier and with you guys being able to open up earlier and stuff like that, I think people will be excited to get back. And I think people will be, you know, really excited to do what they really love doing. And hopefully that's, you know, that's jujitsu. And I think, yeah, I think, yeah, that's hopefully that involves us and they'll jump and they'll jump right back in again. Well, it's really, it's really exciting for me to see you guys finding a way to carry on in spite of all the restrictions. You know, it's always easy when you don't have any obstacles, but the fact that you guys have so many and you're still finding a way to get on here every week and, and just kind of keep jujitsu as a main topic. And I think that's that's very important. Stubbornness, Randy. Yeah, <laughs> we have some stubbornness ourselves. You know what? I think it's a key quality and has gotten me further. I know the whole time in, in the special forces training, there were a lot of guys that were more physically fit than me, guys that were, you know, much smarter, uh, understood training and tactics better. And I, the only way I outlasted them was because I was stubborn. And so I, I wholeheartedly believe it's a key trait to, to embrace. I feel like it's, um, it's almost not even a choice, is it? It's like, well, what, what, what am I going to do? Quit? I can't do that. So... That's never going to happen. So I've got to do something else. Whatever the other something else is, that's what I've got to do. Because quitting, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not telling everyone I gave up. Well, and you know, jiu-jitsu has kind of given me a, a nice perspective on it. Because when you first start, a lot of times you look at tapping as quitting. And uh, you, you come to realize that tapping's not quitting at all. It's actually stopping, backing up, and taking a look at what you've done wrong so you can succeed. And once you figure that out and, and you start tapping, I, I mean, the key now is I tap all the time because I feel like every time I tap, I open a Christmas present because I've learned something new. And that's kind of a key thing to embrace about, you know, jujitsu. And you talked about the early days. When I started, uh, I quite nearly let Hoist Gracie put me unconscious because I was so stubborn and did not want to tap because I assumed that because you know, and believed wholeheartedly because I was a Green Beret that I didn't care if his name was Gracie. That was the roughest 15 seconds I ever had. He, he definitely taught me that, that that didn't have anything to do with it. And as a result, I fell in love with jujitsu and figured out, hey, I've got to learn how to be on the other end of that. I love it. When you were at the beginning of your training, just sort of, did you... How did you keep yourself because you've gone through this thing where you've had to had to develop yourself and find your training and things like that. It wasn't, you know, as easy for you as it is now for a student that walks into your academy and lives five minutes down the road. Um, was it the stubbornness or was it what kept you going and what were your sort of top things to keep yourself learning? This is basically a question to help me out. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously we're, we're a training group together so you've, we've got all three of us on a very similar level um 
obviously and working together and obviously we've got the support of Bill shaking his head um you know we've got the support of each other and then all the the video stuff but you know how how did you sort of get past that little hurdle to to keep progressing well in the beginning it was really challenging because there weren't the resources we have now you know, we're talking 1998 um i actually had the original set of racy uh vhs tapes unfortunately i don't have them here now i now i have you know i got dvds but uh you know left over and everything's streaming now so it's a lot easier to find resources the challenge now is to find good resources and actually integrate and and uh you know take you on a path to progression in the beginning what what we had to do initially was there was no Gracie Jiu-Jitsu near us, so we had to start learning Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. And one of the, the guys that was uh, you know, in Special Forces with us was a black belt in Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. Very different, much more physical, no uh, uh, focus on the technique and detail like there is with Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, but the techniques were similar. So it gave us a basis and a place to start. One of the things I used to do originally is I would, we, we got with this guy, we got some training. Then every Tuesday, Thursday morning during fitness time, I would train my guys uh, in jujitsu. And, and it wasn't very technique focused. It was very physical, but I would set up a, we had a video camera for the team and I would set up the camera and record the training and record myself teaching it. And then I would go home later that night and I would watch it. And by watching myself, I saw, you know, some of the things I was doing. I actually was able to look and see, you know, by comparing it to the VHS tapes from the Gracies that I, I missed details. I didn't have the technique right. And so I started to adjust it from there. But later on, once, you know, we were able to get to where we had, you know, and I was able to find instruction on a, on a semi, you know, regular basis. Then the challenge became, as I moved up, how do I challenge myself? And it gets easier as you get older because the students always get younger and more physically fit. So they're always going to push you that way. But that doesn't always, uh, you know, influence you to use your technique. So you have to start using different drills. And one of the things that, that I would do sometimes is I would take one hand like Professor sometimes has you do, put it inside the belt, grab the tail. And so I'm only using one hand. A drill that we use here at the academy now is sometimes we'll take uh, we'll take tennis balls and one of the person, but you have to hold them in your hand while you are doing the techniques. So now you're not gripping and grabbing, you're connecting instead of grabbing the cloth or doing those kind of little things. The other thing we do with the tennis ball is sometimes we'll split the tennis ball and we'll put, put it on the belt so that it's in the center of your back. And then when you're on the bottom, your goal is to make sure the tennis ball doesn't you know, rest on the ground. As you get more advanced, you'll put more on there to where you have one in the center of the back, one on each hip. And the goal is to make sure that your back isn't flat on the ground. Yeah. And you can keep altering these type of techniques. Some of the other things that I did early on was I used to have a weight vest that uh, for training. And so I would put the weight vest on whenever I would roll. Uh, you know, we uh, they've come out with these things now too, to where they you you uh, you know bite them or put them on your mouth, and they they restrict your airflow. Well, back in the day, we used to just simply take uh, you know a bandana and put it over our mouth. 
seems very familiar right now, right? So, <laughs> and the other piece to that is we would also, you know, do blindfold techniques, things like that to where now you have to look at things a little bit differently and increase your handicaps, uh, you know, on different levels so that you have to, uh, you know, use different techniques. I've also done the same thing with ankle weights. You got to be careful with that one because every now and then a stray move can, you know, clock your partner. Same thing with, with uh, wrist weights. Those techniques work really well. And then over time, you'll develop a partner that will push you. And, and the other piece is to consistently put yourself in the bad position. Uh, I always try to tell my guys, don't pull guard. It's one of our uh, techniques that we emphasize and principles we emphasize for self-defense. You know, you would never go into a street fight and pull a, a much bigger, larger, angry person on top of you, I hope, even if your jujitsu was amazing. So we go ahead and, and there's controversy over this because people will say, well, you're wasting some of your rolling time battling to try to get a top position. And, and I agree, you may be losing some time, but the key there is it's more important for me to develop that inherent mental reflex of stubbornness that battles to be on top and then knows what to do when you wind up on the bottom. Because it's a little bit different. If I just you know, lay back and, and bring you into the guard, then I have a different you know, perspective than if I battle for a top position and then I wind up with you on top of me. So I think it's key to focus on that and then intentionally allow yourself to be placed in the difficult position. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you, you uh, the other piece that, that uh, we got from some information from Hickson is to let the person get the submission, let them get it, you know, either fully or partially locked up and then try to escape at the last second and then back up, you know, reverse engineer the submission in order to learn how to get out of it. And then as you do that, then you get much better at learning how not to ever get in it. And so I've used those techniques with some success. Part of it is the, the thing that, that I try to remember is um, the biggest thing that's helped me is being around other people at the highest level. That's kind of been the whole secret of the association is there's so many guys that know so much more jujitsu and are so much better at it than I am that I try as much as possible whenever professor is close enough that I can sneak around and get to where he's at training, I make sure I go get the information from him. Same thing with Alan Baker, uh, you know, other great folks to work with like Keith Owen, all these guys that you have the opportunity to train with and find their details um, make a big difference. And, and you'll have one person that will present it to you you may hear it from your instructor the same way for years and years and years. You walk out, you do a seminar or, or train with somebody else. They'll present it just slightly differently and all of a sudden it'll click. And uh, I've, I've found that very useful. But, you know, the, the biggest thing I think is is sharing jujitsu and as much as possible, lose. Get tapped, get tapped, get tapped. And, and don't worry about it. You know, a lot of people are very uh, concerned about it. I get tapped all the time. And um, I think that's a key thing in learning. And there's a lot of guys that are just so good in the association, it would be ridiculous to think that uh, that you shouldn't be getting tapped. Yeah, we definitely look forward to uh, getting tapped as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs>
Anybody. Everybody. Anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, guys, hang in there. It's going to happen. I know. It, it's bound to come soon. Yeah, we're getting close, and then we'll uh, we'll pack up the road trip bus. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be. That's it. We'll be off. Awesome. Well, Hopefully something miraculous will happen and uh, they'll lift the travel ban for you before the 15th of April because we'd love to see it. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, which year, Randy, which year? <laughs> that may be the proper approach is which year. Yeah, yeah. Well, even if, yeah, even if we don't make this one, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make sure we're, available for other stuff going on. Well, meanwhile, check out the new site. I know they're going to be uh, using that to, to help with techniques and, and a process for folks to get more jujitsu. Awesome. awesome. Well, I'll, uh, I'll call it time then there. Thank you again so much for coming on. Again, we could do, we could do like four of these and still not cover everything, but um, it's good to catch up a second time and get to chat a bit more and go through a few more bits. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. You know, when I do this with you guys, it, it kind of reminds me of how much I miss coming through London and, and getting to check out England. So, you know, I feel the same way. I'm still restricted, but it's on my list to get back that way. Can't wait. It'd be great to see you here. Yeah, can't wait. Um, and just as a final finish off, thank you. Uh, do you want to plug anything? Do you want to give out your um, sort of uh, academy stuff so that people can find you? Well, I think I've... I've hopefully uh, thoroughly plug the uh, upcoming conference, but uh, I'm the owner for Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Athens in Athens, Georgia. If you're ever coming through this way and, uh, you know, have the opportunity to stop in and train with us, please do. Um, if you need anything association-wise, then uh, feel free to, to jump on Facebook, hunt me down, or contact me at randy at pedrosour.com, and uh, I'll do everything I can to help you, give you the information you need. There's a lot of cool stuff coming and the whole focus is to make sure that uh, there's more emphasis on getting more jujitsu out and helping the affiliates grow and share it with more people. Brilliant. And I'll put, um, I'll put those links in as well. I'll put those links in the show notes so people can find that easily. Thank so, you very much. Yeah, Appreciate no you guys having me on again. It's been great talking to you, Randy. Thank you for your time yeah. today. So we'll, uh, we'll cut the live stream off. Thank you, everybody, for joining in. Again, remind us to like, subscribe, find us on everywhere you get your podcasts. So thank you very much. Until next time.